Everything Everywhere All at Once has been on a tear this award season, winning the PGA, DGA, and SAG Top Awards. It's up for 11 Oscar nominations, and we're here today talking to Ryan Lott of Sun Lux. They're nominated for Best Original Score and their song, This Is a Life from the Film, with David Byrne and Mitski on Crew Call. So this is the second feature score for Sun Lux. Tell me about winning this project and also breaking from your tour schedule to, to devote all your time to composing it. Yeah. Hey, uh, thank you. Good question. Um, and I'm glad you asked because the, there is a difference between the first feature and the second feature. Um, the, uh, when, when the first, the first Sunlux feature was uh, for a film called Disappearance of Eleanor Rigby with uh, uh, James McAvoy and Jessica Chastain. Um, I created that score before Sunlux was a band. Um, so this is the first feature film that we scored as a band, um, which I think um, another thing that's kind of amazing about that is that we are the first band in history to be nominated uh, for best original score um, for an Oscar. Um, there was a band called the Beatles about half a century ago that was nominated for a similar award, a song score award, but um, that award is no longer around. Um, and, and that year there was, there was a separate um, original motion picture score, you know, traditional score award. So, um, I don't know, just an interesting tidbit. <laughs> there was a, there was a, the, the first film I was talking about was Mean Dreams in 2016. Mean Dreams. Okay. So Mean Dreams, I also did as a solo project. Um, that was a smaller Canadian film. Um, super, super cool movie. And I'm very proud of that score. Also a solo uh, endeavor. Um, that was like really right as the band was transitioning from being part of just the live universe of Sunlux um, and becoming um, uh, and altering the DNA of, of Sunlux from, you know, um, and, and, you know, as a, as a studio project as well. So Sunlux is now the three of us. <clears throat> so this is our first score as a band. Tell me about landing the gig. You guys were on this film well before any cast. Did you know the Daniels for quite some time? No, we didn't know them at all. <clears throat> they they were um, fans of our music, um, both individually and collectively as a band. <clears throat> so they hit us up um, because they had been dreaming for a while at that time. This was September 2019. And um, by that point, they had already been dreaming up um, approaching us to score it and had been planning certain songs for different scenes and kind of... <clears throat> Uh, planning their approach to us, to their their pitch, um, which was obviously an incredible honor to hear and um, also totally strange. Um, and it only became stranger when we actually read the script, <laughs> which <clears throat> if that version of the movie had been made would have um, been a four hour film. Um, imagine, imagine an even crazier, even longer, even stranger journey. <laughs> was it thematically a different movie? No, it wasn't. It wasn't. It was just a, a, a like a more exploded universe with more tangents, uh, a multiverse with more tangents, and um, 
subplots and characters like um, Spaghetti Baby, Noodle Boy, things like that that didn't quite make it into the movie. <laughs> Maybe for the better. I don't know. We'll see. You know, I'm sure there'll be a there there'll be a, an, a a very long extended cut at some point in in the in our future. <clears throat> So tell me about the aesthetic here for the score. There's a lot of strings, there's the soft, and there is the loud. And yet it's an upside down classical at times. Mm -hmm. It's funky, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. it, it gets, you know, when it, it, it can get emotional classical and then mm -hmm. stand on its head. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that. How did you guys come up with that? Mm -hmm. Or were the did the Daniels let you go free reign, or did they yeah. have this sound in mind? Um, you know, the Daniels have a, a remarkable ability to balance both um, a a very focused um, directorial approach with a completely permission giving energy. Um, I'm not quite sure how they did it, um, to be honest. I think I think. At the at the heart of making it work was the fact that they chose their collaborators wisely. I think they were really smart about, uh, you know, I think they chose the right composer team. <laughs> of course, um, I might be a little biased, but um, I truly think that they understood better the potential of our collaboration with them than even we did at the outset. Uh, we were just really excited to be involved and we love the idea that we can do so many different kinds of things. And we are a multiverse band. You know, we are, we are a composer team that um, uh, inside of each of us is kind of a multiverse. And, and um, they heard that within our music. They heard, um, they also heard a kind of emotional energy in our music that is melancholic and full of gravitas while at the same time being architectural and quite uh, cerebral at times, you could say. Um, and I think they knew that they knew that was the film they were going to make. Uh, they were, it was going to be a rigorous architectural film full of um, surprise and, um, and intense emotional energy. Um, they, we couldn't quite see that at the outset, you know, um, we knew that this, was going to be incredible um, if it was ever going to be made. And for me, when I read the script, I was like, nobody's ever going to make this movie. <laughs> um, but they knew it. They knew it. They knew what they needed and they heard it in our music um, and they felt the potential of our collaboration in a deeper way than we did, even at the outset. And I think the process of scoring this was a process of discovering just how right that decision was. So yes, they gave us, uh, they gave us completely free reign um, we were, as you said, involved very early in the process, which meant that we could actually help inform their outlook as they looked forward to the shoot. And then we could inform how the edit came together. Um, and as music directors, um, music video directors, they um, are naturally quite deferential to music and to, and to understanding the way that an edit supports music and not just the other way around. Um, which also made the collaboration very unique and very different um, than most um, film uh, music um, partnerships. 
usually um, like almost always the music is chasing the edit and and never the other way around and there were plenty of times when i mean really again and again they would say um you know let us know where we can you know adjust the edit to make them so you don't have to do any um fudging in the music you know you can really we can make it make the music sound really right they knew that they wanted a film that felt musical and uh, an edit that felt musical um and um that's an amazing insight i think that they had as well sometimes composers are writing to the script sometimes composers are just getting sequences how does it all how did it all come to you did you get one rough cut yeah we started writing um as soon as we uh debriefed after reading the scripts um daniel shared some fantastic incredibly crazy ideas um, and we, um, we thought most of them were not going to work and all of them did work. Um, <laughs> honestly, the best ideas, um, with respect to the, sh- the approach in the score was, uh, were, were their ideas. Um, I, <laughs> I, uh, we just got to work, man. We were just so excited. And actually, now that I think about it, we were in the studio when we first, we were working on uh, raw materials for what would become our triple album, Tomorrow's One, Two, and Three, which we made at the same time as we made this score somehow. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> so we were in the studio developing raw t- tools, which um, which is part of our process is we develop um, the ingredients first, um, like we stock our our pantry with like really good stuff, and then we come up with the recipes that we want to make from those raw ingredients, which is quite different, I think, than most um, the way most people work. Certainly, the way uh, kind of most you know pop um, or bands work, and I wouldn't call it necessarily a pop band, but um, we are making experimental pop music. Um, in the way that this movie is an experimental pop movie. So they c- contact us and we were in the middle of the studio kind of mindset and, and all together, which was also, also rare. We only really come together to record and for special occasions. Um, and um, so we actually started immediately, even before reading the script, just from talking to them to uh, de- developing um, sounds and um, gestures and crazy ideas based on, concepts and events that we knew were going to be part of the film. So from there all the way through, all the way through to the very last day of the film mix we were composing, <laughs> which is also totally rare. Have you guys always been remote? Or did We've the been pandemic remote. force you that to be that No, way? no. Yeah, we were actually remote. Um, we were all spread out um, well in advance of the pandemic. And just life took us into different places and we would always just come together to tour and to record, as I said. So that actually meant we were kind of uniquely poised to, um, uh, you know, to seize um, the opportunity we had with respect to space and like, you know, mental space and also temporal space to develop this score um, because we had worked those muscles already and we developed a a process as a team of working over, over long distance. Tell me about how David Byrne and, and Mitski became involved with, um, with the song. Yeah. So 
the film studio, A24, I don't quite know what happened, but my guess is it seems like what happened was A24 finally saw this film coming together, coming off of the page and into an edit. And I think that they kind of started to look around at each other and I think they started to realize what they had on their hands was something truly special. Um, and, you know, this- That I been, know. That I know. They Yeah. This would have been after it was shot, primarily, maybe there were some pickups because the, the production was stopped a day shy of rap, which means they had a full day of, of filming that they had planned that they couldn't do. Um, and they had to then do over the course of, they had to like wait like nine months and then do a skeleton cruise and green screen and like different parts of the world and stuff just to finish. But before that was all done, you know, there was a rough assembly of the film that was, you know, you could tell what it, that it was going to be really crazy great, you know? <laughs> and um, they, I think they got, they got it. Um, enough that they knew that they wanted to invest more in it. And when everything is shot pretty much, um, and all the, you know, there's, there's one of the things you can do late in the game, um, to squeeze all the juice out of the thing is to invest more in the music. Um, no, that didn't mean they gave us more money. <laughs> um, but it did mean that they express willingness to invest in uh, collaborators that we thought maybe could be, you know, they could enhance the score. And, that, that, and, and, and so we immediately went about writing a list of some of the people we would dream to uh, work with. And David Byrne, of course, was on that list. Andre Benjamin was on that list um, as a flute player. Um, not as a rapper. Uh-huh. Um, Mitski was on that list. Randy Newman was on that list. Um, everyone that we, we invited to be involved um, immediately said yes. They saw the uh, early cut of the movie and they said yes on the strength of the film. You know, it wasn't because we were like some hotshot band. It was because this movie was fantastic and they knew it. They just wanted to be a part of it. With David, again, he's everywhere. He's everywhere, everything all I know. Bizarre. <laughs> but um, he specifically, you could see it in his filmography. He specifically chooses which films he's going to work on. It's very, very clear. It's got to speak to him. So this is, that's amazing. Yeah, that. he said it. He said it. Um, he said it, called it astonishing and said it turned his head around. So. Wow. So he said, sign me up. Now, we reached out to Mitski first, though. And the reason why we, miss, we, reached, we reached out to Mitski was because um, uh, I think at the end of 2020, Kwan and Daniel Kwan sent us his Spotify year-end like top three artists. <laughs> and um, the first two were Ryan Lott, that's me, and Sun Lux. That's my band with my with my brothers. And that, you know, makes sense because obviously, you know, we're making a movie together and he's li always listening to songs to find out where they could fit in the movie, if anything. In the end, B 
basically it was all original score, but um, the original idea was that there would be a lot more just existing music that was, um, you know, um, adapted. Uh, the pandemic gave us um, the latitude to develop a fully bespoke score. Anyway, so he sent it to us as a sort of like, love you, you know. But the third person on that list was Mitski. And he wasn't making a movie with Mitski. So that was truly his, I think, his heartthrob listen, right? So we said to ourselves, oh, snap. And credit song. We got to reach out to Mitski. So we pitched that idea to them. And of course, they were like, yeah, <laughs> let's try. And through their channels, reached out to her, sent her the early cut. And it would have been early, early. Um, immediately, she was like, let's go. Let's do it. So we got on Zoom. We t talked about the potential of it. And just everybody said, yay, let's do something. Who knows what it's going to be? And then we just kind of put that idea aside for later. Um, and then it was, and then, in, and then in my mind, I was thinking this song needs to be a duet at some point in the, in the process of scoring this film. And now there's over a hundred cues, music cues in this film, which is, which is totally bananas. It's so much music. It's, it's an hour and 50, five zero minutes of original music. And it's only a two hour and 12 minute film, you know? So it's just constant. Like there's basically the rocks universe. What was the philosophy behind that? You know, studios have this very specific philosophy about score and where score should be. But tell me about that. What was the, was it just because there's nonstop action, there's nonstop score? This movie is intentionally, so, it, you know, it's, I hesitate to say too much but it is designed to be, in a sense, too much. This is an overwhelmed um, character who, our our lead character, played by Michelle Yeoh, our, our queen, <laughs> Evelyn is overwhelmed. She has, she has too many things coming at her, even in one universe, to know how to cope with them. Um, but it is maybe that unique ability to to sense everything everywhere all at once that gives her this ability to and this need to uh, jump into alternate versions of herself that each one better than hers. Um, she is living her worst life <laughs> in all of the thousands, of the infinite multiverse. Um, she so this movie is is dense. You know, it's designed to be that way. It's everything, everywhere, all at once. And it goes hard in that direction. And to that, to that, you know, with, you know, with that in mind, it only makes sense that music and sound design um, accompanies the entire film. Um, it's, uh, we are designing, and it's also really important that because we spend so little time in each multiverse or in each universe, usually, um, we have to get into the emotion and the feeling and the the look and the sound um, of that universe quickly. And so we are verse jumping, switching gears, contorting constantly. And as we do, we're getting there quickly, which means we need music to support those transitions. And all the while, 
we need to develop melodic threads, motifs that recur and make us feel, remind us that this is one film. These are, and these are themes that uh, that weave through this the chaos, um, and they and they tear our heart out, and they make us cry, smile, and you know <laughs> all of it. You know, by the end, it has to be very emotional. And that was that was <clears throat> there were a lot of tasks for music, and so there was a lot of music for the song. How did it come about that Mitski would lead the vocal? And David would be the backup, which is very yeah. clever. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So <clears throat> I I had conceived, I originally conceived of a song. I hadn't started writing it, but just on a philosophical level, that was sort of a celebratory dance party kind of vibe. Um, you know, you'll forgive me if when David Byrne was thumbs up on it, that I was, I, you know, was walking around my neighborhood thinking of dancey, um, dancey anthems with, you know, the characteristic, um, shout saying of David Byrne. Um, but when we got on the first call, David said, one of the first things he said is, you know, after all of that we've seen and all the chaos in the end, at the end of the day, this song is about reconciliation about family, about love, forgiveness, kindness. And, and for the end credits, we, we need to sit in that warm embrace of where we're left after all of that. And I think it should be something quite tender. And as soon as he said that, it sort of corrected my thinking on it. And I realized, oh yeah, he's totally right. He's totally right. Um, and I shifted from sort of a dance anthem, crowd sing mentality into like a an idea for a duet that sounds like it could be two songs from two different perspectives sung um, at the same time against a constant or a, a, a shared instrumental through line. And so to begin the process, I just sat at the piano and I said, I'll just write a song that breathes in a way that would welcome a secondary voice. And I'll write the first voice um, knowing that um, you know, if she wanted, Mitski could write her own top line. Um, and I could, we could just keep the instrumental or we could trash it all. We'll see what they say. And this is one of those moments where that is so rare. <laughs> um, but it happens every once in a while and it feels like, it feels like being struck by lightning, um, made of rainbows or something. Um, I don't remember writing the song because it came so fast. Um, I have voice memos, proof that I did it on a certain day at a certain time. Um, and they're a few minutes apart. And one of them is a very raw sketch. And one of them is the song that's done. <laughs> um, and it just came. It just came so fast. And um, I um, I just sent the rough sketches over to them. And um, they both loved it. Mitski said... Um, she actually gave me probably one of the best compliments because I was writing with her in mind to sing it, but you never know. And she said, I smiled the whole time because I knew I could kill it. 
And um, that's not, I don't think that that's her bragging. That's her saying to me, you wrote a song um, from your imagination that will sound great in my instrument and I'm, I'm going to feel great about it, you know? And so that was a, that was my goal. So, and then David said about the harder task, in my opinion, which was taking what is a very fixed piece of music with holes and his task was to fill those holes according to the concept I laid out, um, which also involved like little tent post moments where of, of unison where I wanted them to come together and then a second final section where they were singing in harmony. He, because it was inherently prescriptive, it was a harder task. But man, he immediately came about, I mean, I don't know how much time he spent alone, but when he came back to us with his demo, um, it was so good. I mean, it was like, it, it, and it came across, the reason why I felt like it felt like destiny is it came across like his, to my ear, it came across like his part came first. That's how natural it felt, you know? Because the next day when I woke up, I wasn't singing the the song that I had written that I'd been listening to and over and over again. I, you know, I woke up singing his melody, you know? 70 years old. What's amazing, I was thinking about this today. His <laughs> voice sounds like, like when, like he was a teenager. He, he, I mean, not many performers can keep their voice up to, to their zenith, you know, of, of, you know, when they first broke through and it's just, it's amazing yeah. to hear him. He's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he's, he's such a great guy. You know, he's, he, working on the, this song with them, um, you know, we get on zoom calls and he was always so, he's, he's so studious, you know, he t- takes notes and he's so cooperative. He's, he's, you know, on email, he was always so humble. Um, you know, let me know what you think. I can change the lyrics. And, and he was open. We had a couple very small suggestions and he was completely open to hearing them and invited those ideas. Um, and for a legend, who, you know, spent years on Broadway a couple times, <laughs> who has an Oscar of his own um, among, you know, you know, and that's just the start, of course, his discography and the way in which his, the sound of his ideas has permeated um, our way of life, you know, um, um, and not just in the United States. Um for a legend like this um, to take the approach of a student, really, um, continuing to just try to make something really good um, and submit to a greater vision uh, to cooperate without ego um that's the dream right that's who you want to be when you grow up (laughs) so i admire him so much what is next for sun lux uh either either on the album side or in in film scoring well um we are now 
you know, in a place where we can, you know, we have some decisions to make for sure. Um, and we are, you know, honor, honored and humbled to, you know, be in a position where we can, we'll have, you know, options. Um, and we can, um, we can, you know, receive opportunities and, and, and design our own path. And I think that I, I recognize that that is a privilege that's not afforded to everyone. And it's not, it's a privilege that's not usually commensurate with ability. And, and, um, you know, there's far more talent than there is opportunity. So I, I do recognize that, um, we are, we're very fortunate. Um, wh what that means for us right now, we're still deciding. Um, I do know that two days after the Oscars, we um, go on tour. <laughs> so we, we wake up after hopefully partying quite a bit um, uh, and slide into two days of rehearsal and, and then get on a plane to Europe. Um, and uh and travel around um, in a van playing, playing, you know, venues in Europe. Um, that's the immediate future for us. So um, after that for scoring, um, of course, we are going to do more scoring. We love to do it. Um, I'm, I'm working on a film already, um, which is um, a film by Ned Benson, who, who uh, created uh, my first uh, feature, uh, the, the, the film that I scored, was my fe first feature film, Disappearance of Eleanor Rigby. Um, so he's my buddy, and we're going to do another one together, which I'm really excited about. It's called Greatest Hits, The Greatest Hits. Um, and, um, yeah, so, um, but for us as a team, a scoring team, uh, we'll see. It's going to be fun, whatever it is. <laughs> Ryan Lott, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call Podcast on Deadline. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode.